Right now we're on a series called Fear and Anxiety. And uh, <clears throat> I'm using uh, the, the word emotional disorders today. And I just wanted to just say a few things about that. I use that term because disorders like fear, disorders like uh, anxiety, disorders like depression, uh, they have a way of disrupting or immobilizing someone's life and even the lives of others who are affected by that person who's going through those particular uh, situations. So they, they really cause disorder in our lives. Now, maybe you have never suffered from something like obsessive thoughts or dark moods or anxious feelings or panic attacks as we saw that video last week of Pastor Jonathan Owens and his own testimony in this particular journey. Maybe you've had an occasional fear, you've had an occasional uh, a thought that you've really, really wrestled with. It affected you a little bit, but you got through it. It's not that big of a thing. I want all of us to kind of wrap ourselves around this subject because not only do we need tools to face this ourselves, but we also need to be encouragers and coaches to help other people get free. So this as much as equipping you as a coach. Well, that's what pastors do. Pastors do all that. No, the, 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 the church is designed to take care of the church, that every part does its share, Paul said in, in Ephesians 4, 16. And we all have our share. There's, there's the big one another in Scripture that we've, we've had like three one another series around here lately. One another. I mean, we're, we're to encourage one another and provoke one another and counsel one another and coach one another and speak to one another and pray for one another Pray for one another, we might be healed. And so I want you to look at, well, I don't know if this is really pertaining to me, Box. I've never really, I don't have your journey. And I, I appreciate that. I happen to be married to a very, very well-adjusted emotional person. And of course, it was a gift to me to help me through the stuff that I went through. So I'm thankful that the two of us didn't have the same problem going through our marriage. It was bad enough with just me. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad for those of you who, who say I can't identify with that, but you might be like Sue, and you're going to have to live with somebody or get close to somebody to help them through this particular situation. I mean, we get ready. We heard the prophetic word today. There's a lot of ways we get ready. And one of the ways we, we need to get ready, as we're going to see today, is we're going to have to learn to how, to how to have a secure relationship with God and uh, to be able to walk in emotional and mental freedom, to be able to be the best me and the best you that God has called us to be. So I want you to kind of have those types of ears today when you're hearing. Our scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power and of love. And we have this famous term, sound mind. The particular Greek word, uh, sophronismos, the, the, the word for sound minds we saw last week means safe thinking. It means good judgments. It means disciplined thought patterns. That God's called us to have disciplined, balanced thought patterns so that we can do his will. This is squeezed right in that first chapter when Paul's encouraging Timothy to, to cause the fire of grace that's in him to get stirred back up for him to use his gifts that were given to him to fulfill his ministry. But he can't fulfill his ministry if he's bound by this thing called an unsound mind or an imbalanced mind or wrong thinking patterns or anxiety or fear or depression. So we want to we make sure that we get ourselves sound. Amen? Now, mood disorders. I want to define three of them here today. One is fear. What is fear? Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous likely to cause pain or a threat. Now, this is where we get phobias from. I'll just be very, very transparent today. Some of the stories I'm going to tell you, you have permission to laugh, okay? Well, that's really funny, but I shouldn't laugh. That would be disrespectful. No, go ahead and laugh. One of my, one of my things I have to battle is a thing called claustrophobia. And uh, it's not like I get up in the morning, I want to be claustrophobic. But uh, I, I, have, I have some claustrophobic issues. It's funny, in some situations I don't. I can be in a crowded plane. It doesn't affect me at all. But especially in closed rooms and closed things, that, that it, my blood pressure goes through the ceiling. My pulse doubles in about five seconds. 
and uh, it's intense. I even have issues just even going into a public bathroom with a locked door. And uh, now, do you stay away from that? No, I, 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 one of the things that we gotta do, you'll talk about this next week, you gotta confront your fears. You can't run from your fears, you gotta press through. But yet, nevertheless, it's an issue. Elevators, I hate elevators. One time I was in, I was in uh, Thailand, an elevator shut, wouldn't open. For just a few seconds, my, my pulse went to about 200 beats in about two seconds, pouring profuse sweat. It was, it was a nightmare of an experience. I'm thinking, what is, what is happening to me? So we were in uh, Africa in 2005. I took my kids, Jeff and Robin Solskjaer. It's actually Robin Solskjaer's favorite story of me. And uh, we, were at a, we were in a city called Nakuru and at a pastor's house. And we're in his living room, and he went out of his living room through a little kitchen out into kind of an open quad area. And then this next little hallway building in the back was where this bathroom was. And so I needed to use the restroom. I went in there. And uh, while I'm in there, I, I got locked in his bathroom. I couldn't get the door open. So what did I do? Well, immediately, my heartbeat went flying through the ceiling. I immediately panicked. I ripped the toilet lid off the toilet. I ripped the, the toilet paper towel off the wall. I ripped my shirt down to the middle. I was, my heart was beating about 180, 100, 200 beats a minute. I was drenched like I had malaria. Someone came and knocked on the door and helped me out. And when I get in there, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. and I sit next to Seuss, who looks at me and goes, where have you been? You look like a mess. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? When I got back, I, I told the story to the church, and, and everyone was just rolling and laughing. And I got a phone call that afternoon from Ed Hewitt. How many people remember Ed and Teresa Hewitt? And uh, she was my personal assistant for, uh, for a season. And uh, Ed was a uh, deputy sheriff here in Vancouver. And uh, Ed called me, he says, Bob, appreciate what you share. You know, that is no joke. I have the same issue. Ed's like 6'6", six, six, man's man, loved to, you know, bust down doors and arrest guys and get into cop fights. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a man's man. Because I have him. When I had to train for the academy, you had to wear handcuffs to know what it was like. And I had to give the key to the handcuffs to Teresa, and I'm going to put these handcuffs on. You've got to be very, very near me because he was practicing his house to wear them, and his panic attacks just set right in. So that's kind of what happened. So obviously in my psyche, there's something about a closed room that threatens me. There's something about being pressed in. I, on our cruise, on our 40th anniversary, you go through and do a tour if you've been on a cruise ship, and they show you all the amenities that you can pay a little extra dollars. Well, there was this one thing where they cover you with green seaweed juice and I thought that was kind of cool and it helped therapy. I was really sore joints were sore from training I said I'm going to go do this I'm gonna... and so they covered me, I got a picture, I'm not going to show it to you I think it would be a stumbling block for some of you but... <laughs> they covered me with all this green stuff and uh, you know I had the lady give me a picture and then they, they wrap you it's like this real thin kind of a, I don't know what material it would be, it was like a paper, but kind of a, not a paper, it was like tinsel type paper, and they wrap you to keep your body in. And as soon as she wrapped me up, panic attacks that in. Uh, could you just loosen it up a little bit? It was no longer relaxing. I was going, ah! I don't know what my problem is, but it's a problem. It's a handicap that I got to face every time I, you, know, you go to foreign countries, you go, into, you go into elevators that can hold three people. And they go, dun, 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 dun. That's how they go up, you know. Go down, dun, 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 dun. You're not a well-developed nation anymore. You're wondering when was the last time they did maintenance on this thing. But I forced myself not to take the stairs. I forced myself not to avoid this thing. And it's a trial. Fears. Second is anxiety. What's anxiety? Anxiety is a feeling of worry. It's nervousness or unease. Typically about an imminent event, an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And what we do with anxiety, we do a thing called projections. In other words, we become prophets. 
and we begin to prognosticate what's going to happen. And it's usually distorted. It's irrational. It's connecting dots that should not be connected. It's doom and gloom. And uh, we're really false prophets in the things that we proclaim. If you've ever gone through this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So let's give you a kind of a possible example. Someone sends me an email of deep criticism, and they say something like, in this email, I've sent this email out to the whole church. And so I read that, instead of laughing, oh, this is not a joke, this is going to be funny, you know, how we work this thing through. I might say something like this. I've never done quite this extreme, but I thought for dramatic purposes, I would write this out. Everyone's going to read this email and start talking, and this, this particular person will leave the church, and I'll have, I'll have to lay off five people, and Sue's going to get hurt, and the elders will never let me make decisions again, and my ministry will be ruined, and the tribulation will happen, and CAC is over, and we're all going to die. People do that, and I've done similar type of things. When something sets off that and anxiety, you start projecting out and doing all these things. The next thing you know, you become a real false prophet of doom and gloom and connecting dots that shouldn't be connected and coming to conclusions you should never come to. And then there's depression. I threw depression in here because it is a mood disorder. It's a mood or emotional state that's marked by feelings of low self-worth, guilt, sadness, hopelessness, pessimism, and a reduced ability to enjoy life. You get up, I'm wrong. The world is wrong. I have feelings of low self-worth. I have feelings of guilt. I have feelings of sadness. I, I have negative self-talk. Now, if you suffer from depression, I want to bring you into good company. Because one of the most famous Americans suffered from severe, so severe depression. His name was Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln was nominated to be the candidate for the Republican Party in the 1861 election. He was found the next day in the particular assembly hall where everyone was throwing their hats in the air. They were chanting, Lincoln, 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 Lincoln. He was found there by Lieutenant Governor William Best. And when he sees Lincoln, he's all by himself. He's sitting in his chair and his, hand, his face is in his hands. He walks up to him, and Lincoln, knowing it, recognizing his presence, said these words, I am not very well. Many times, Lincoln, even in his own writings, and by those who were close to him, talked about suicide. I have a knife on me. I can stab myself to death. He, he was... Always melancholic. They called it melancholy in those days. He went to doctors and, and not to in any way, shape, or form accuse him of being a drug addict. He took opiates at times. He was, trying, he was trying to fight this dark thing that was in him. But out of that whole thing, somehow came a, a sensitive chord, even creative thinking in the dark moods of Lincoln's life because what really got him through that was a cry in his heart that I will not allow slavery to be extended into the new western territories. All of a sudden, a cause rose up in him. A fight rose up into him. Maybe because of his sensitive temperament, there was a moral nerve that tied to a, a cause that he had to fight for those that had no voice. And they say that his fight to stop the extension of slavery is what sustained him through this whole thing called depression. Even people like Abraham Lincoln fought these types of things. So, let's talk about what the torment of imbalanced thinking, what, what this might look like. Well, excessiveness. What do you mean excessiveness? Well, you can call it perfectionism, overachieving, overworking. When I was uh, in, in high school, my my little sister Carol popped up in service today. Welcome Carol to church, everybody. So live it up in Seattle now. We didn't really have the nicest childhood. We, we lived in a garbage dump. We used to peek through windows and watch people eat, and we just to see how other people got to eat. And we used to watch people's TV sets by sitting on a fence and looking into their living room. And we weren't fed. She used to be punished for wanting to take a bath. Okay, we just 
We lived in horrible, horrible, horrible conditions, and it had impact on us as people. But uh, one of the ways I compensated for it, when I was 13, I didn't realize I was compensating for it that way, but I became a, I became a classic overachiever. I mean, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to outwork everybody. Okay, if, if I'm going to play football, then I'm going to train harder than anybody in the school. I have to. Whatever they do, I have to do twice as much. Whatever they study, i got to study twice as much. And, of course, I just kind of became this Rudy, Rudy, Rudy guy. But the, but the issue is, is that I, I destroyed relationships. I became isolated. i got to achieve. i got to achieve. i got to achieve. So when I became a Christian, what did I bring into my Christianity? Overachieving. I've been accused, I've been accused more than once of being a workaholic. And, uh, you know, I've had to discern over the years what is the will of God and what's stewardship responsibility and what is God's responsibility. It's not been an easy task for me. But it was, that excessiveness came from a lot of emotional pain. It came in from the trauma I was going through. Seeking assurance, reassurance. Just, you know, you're not confident in how you view things. And you're not sure if you did things right. So you check things five times over again. And you call people up, I'm thinking this, what do you think? And that you don't even trust your own, your own instincts. Self-condemnation is a, is a classic one, where you are, you, you know, you think God hates you, and you think the church doesn't like you, and you think you're completely disqualified. J.O., I can talk about him, because he gave us permission by divulging himself. He had a real sensitive spirit, and, uh, and he was really susceptible, susceptible to, to accusation and condemnation. We were at a, a conference, and the, one of the workshop speakers was a well-known author, and he had some great insight, but his delivery and, his, and the way he packaged things was very harsh and direct. But he was a famous author, and so I said, Joe, let's, let's go see this workshop. And we get done the workshop. I, even, the guys would even say a couple of things in the workshop. I kind of winced. Like, he could have he said that a little bit nicer. And when we walk out, J.O. did this. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. I knew he would speak. I knew I'd come under condemnation. I knew he would do that. You see, when you're in that, you're vulnerable to those voices on a continual basis to keep them at bay. And it just takes a little bit to send you right over the top. Self-criticism, of course, goes with that. That was dumb. So who catches me sometimes talking to myself? Is that you talking to yourself? Yeah, I have little conversations like, that was really stupid, McGregor. I got to catch myself and what comes out of my, my mouth sometimes. Or I'm a loser. We all have this committee in our head that's voting for us. How many people want to vote that Bob's a loser? Yeah, yeah. The committee just says all their thumbs down in my head. You know? And you got to kind of work through those things. Now, this may be funny, but these are absolute realities that I've had to deal with 24 hours a day my whole adulthood. So what kind of a psycho pastor do we have? <laughs> Hopefully a good psycho. <laughs> Avoidance. Because of all this pain, you stay away from people who cause pain. You stay away from painful situations because you're already in pain. You don't want to be in that situation that's going to tip the scale on it. The problem is that people can't be real with you because they recognize you're vulnerable. So if they speak truthful to you, they don't know exactly how you're going to react to the truthfulness. And there's a thing called, this is kind of a new word for you, rumination. Well, what is rumination? It's when irrational thoughts and voices and concepts that are very negative and very destructive go around and around and around and around your brain and they're like, they're like a like, you know, some shell on a, you know, on a rock in the ocean, like a barnacle that just attaches to your mind and will not leave. And you're trying to concentrate on this, but all you can hear is this. When you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when you're going through the day, it's like a voice just speaking to you. Now, I'm going to talk to you next week on a skill of what to do, because most people do the wrong thing uh, in trying to get rid of this particular thought. They're trying to rebuke the devil, and it only gets worse. 
They're trying to cast it down, and it only gets worse. And there's something that you have to do that actually will allow that thing to find its place out of your brain and new thoughts coming in. Twisted perspective, this is another one. Distor it's called distortions. You see the situation wrong. You, you're connecting dots that shouldn't be connected, and there's no proof in what you're thinking. Obsessive behavior, it's the root of, the root of excessive behavior, whether it's overachieving or overchecking or overthinking, is really the root of that is control. You are in, you're in a control and a hyper-control of your life. As we're going to see, the key here is just the opposite of being in control, and that's being in a place of trust. And then, of course, phobias. Social settings, places, situations can set you off in panic in seconds. In seconds. You know, it's really fun for me to go to Africa because I hate reptiles. And usually I sleep in rooms with reptiles. And they just can't. They just be crawling around the ceilings and just, you know, hey, little lizard, how are you doing? I hate you. I'm going to go to sleep right now. You run across my body, then so be it. I fear no evil. Yeah, right. All right, 15 truths. Funny, Matt Rich helps with my... my, my my PowerPoint, my keynote, you know, he said, Bob, you don't have 14, you have 15. And I said, no, I have 14, but I had to go check. I had 15 truths. I didn't even number all my truths today, but you're right, Matt. 15 truths to understand. And it's not like they're sequential, but these are just things when we're approaching people, this will go very fast and we'll bring, wrap this up. We need to understand when seeking deliverance from a mood disorder. First one's very simple. Mood disorders are thieves. They rob you of life, they rob you of peace, they rob you of joy, they rob you of production, they rob you of energy, and they destroy relationships also. They're thieves. Just, just so we get this down, why are you talking about that? Because the thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. They're thieves. The second is this, is that we are immaterial. Mood disorders have their root in spiritual issues. And this is very important to look at. I'll deal with the material in a second. Let's talk this. This is why prescription drugs, though they may be needed, and I'll address this in a second, they may be needed, are not the answer to this situation. They may be needed, but they're not the, the root issue. You are a living soul, not just a brain. And as Christians, and we look at our worldview, we've got to look at ourselves as material, and we've got to look at ourselves as immaterial. Jesus addressed these issues. He addresses them throughout the gospel. He said, do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. And he ties commands to them, so he addresses these things as spiritual, spiritual issues. And so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to make sure we approach it as a spiritual issue, not a mechanical issue. But at the same time, we are material. Mood disorders can have a physical root issue. This is number three. See how fast these things go? They can have an organic root issue. This is why prescription drugs to fight anxiety or fight fear or, or fight depression may be needed. They may be needed. And this is hard for this is hard for Christians to admit. When my mom was a part of this church for two and a half years, it was very hard on me. Not because I was embarrassed for my mom. I've taken my mom everywhere, and I just know how to live with her and compensate and everything else. But the church's reaction was what really brought wounds to me. On one end, people just got really weirded out. On another end, some people started believing my mom's fantasies. Of course, my mom's fantasies had to do usually with her children, who are always the evil empire. And so as people started picking up my mom's schizophrenic offenses towards me. But that's not true. Oh, that's what your mom said. That's not true. I, I believe your mom. Okay, <laughs> you shouldn't. That's not real wise. Okay. But the biggest thing was that I was full of unbelief. If Bob had faith, he would deliver her. If Bob really knew what the root issue is, he'd cast that demon out right now in Jesus' name. It's amazing to me how demons respond to Zyprexa. 
or some other antipsychotic pill that might change things. And I've watched it alter my mom's thinking in, in just seconds. In 2002, we put her in a, she was in station two, which is the next thing to an institution. They couldn't sedate her. I left her for five days as we went to California on a vacation, came back for Christmas. She was still there, and they hadn't been able to get her to sleep one hour. She was yelling at me. She was, she was attacking me. She was cursing me. She was cursing the nurses. And so I pulled the nurse out, and what are you giving her? We're giving her this. Well, I, you know, she doesn't take meds. I, we snuck that in on her one time in her Dr. Pepper, and she didn't respond to it. Would you be willing to do something else? And so I appreciated the, 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 the medical staff there. I said, sure. The next day, I actually brought my kids in. I don't know what brought my kids in. I just always wanted to expose them to exotic stuff. But, uh, <laughs> took, I took them, took them into the mental ward with me. My mom was cursing me the night before, like, I never want to see you again. Get out of here. And the next day I see her. She's bathed, and her hair's in place, and nice bathrobe on. And she goes, Bob, Bob. I said, Mom, how you doing? Very good. She was explaining what happened that morning, and she was just real positive. Let's sit down. Let's sit down. You know, Mom, you know when we have to give you pills for, um, you know, your seizures? Well, do you remember how you got here? She goes, no. Well, Mom, we got to give you some pills for your brain. That's why you don't remember how you got here. So will you be cooperative and take those pills? Well, yes, Bob. I just love whatever pill they gave her. I just love this pill. <laughs> and so she got out. She was wonderful for 30 days. And I went to Walgreens to get her refill. And they said, no, there's no refills on this prescription. You see this man right here? This man's going to stand right here and take this place hostage if you don't give me some pills right now. <laughs> you ever seen John Q with Denzel Washington? <laughs> okay, I was ready to be on the front page of the Columbian and the Oregonian and on the Associated Press nationally, taking Walgreens hostage until they gave me some Respiridol to give my mom so I could live. It's because we want to see everything spiritual, we never see things organic. And that the way, a picture that I try to give people to help them understand this is that if a car was pulling a trailer, the trailer is not the car, but the trailer will impact the performance of the car. And that's a great way for you to see sometimes, knowing that the root issue are spiritual issues, is that the is that sometimes our body, and we seem to be, as Christians, very tolerant with someone with dementia or Alzheimer's. That's a brain situation. It affects behavior. Okay, so we got to kind of, sometimes it can affect other issues in people's lives, and there may need to be some medication just to help them think logically to approach the things that they got to approach in fixing this problem. The fourth truth is this, is that how we feel is determined on how we interpret life. If I understand who I am in Jesus, and I understand that God has forgiven me, and God accepts me, God loves me, God came after me, God chose me, God is with me by his presence, he will never leave me or forsake me, he's good, he's going to work all things out in my life, he's faithful, Okay, not that nothing bad will happen to me, but God's grace will always be there. He'll give me the wisdom and the power to get through it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at my best. But if I think that God is disgusted with me, if I think that God is displeased with me, if I think that God is just aloof and he's out there and he never helps anybody, I'm going to be subject to all sorts of bad mood issues, mental issues, thinking issues that are going to deeply impact my life. Now, how we feel is determined, by our, I mean, is determined by our interpretation of life. How we interpret life is determined by a number of factors. Like what? Well, one is our belief system. You might, you're here today, you have a biblical worldview. You might be here today and you have a kind of a synchronized worldview between the Bible and other issues. You might be here today and you have a completely non-biblical worldview. Maybe you have a worldview that you've created out of your own philosophy. It's my, my worldview. But whatever your belief system is, it's going to determine the way you feel. That's my point. Experiences affect the way 
that you feel up interpret things in your life. Experiences teach. They teach us positive things. They teach us negative things sometimes. For it's a negative experience, maybe your, your, your experience has taught you don't trust people. But in other ways, maybe because things began to happen to your life and somehow through experiences you landed the plane and went through, you have an experience as bad things happen to us all. Life is tough, but you pull through it and God's faithful and, and get there. Now here's the truth, is that I may go through a number of experiences that have formulated my interpretation of situations in a healthy way, but I've been kind of groomed to be able to endure them. You may not have had the same experiences that I have. So we might be two people looking at the same situation, and you're flipping out, and I'm saying everything's going to be okay. What determined that? Because this is not my first rodeo. not my first barbecue. Been through this before. Watched this happen. I remember one time in a stewardship meeting, we were dealing with finances. Sometimes those meetings are a little bit fearful. You know, we had this much money last year. We have no money now. Okay, you know, we're going through that, and we're... God's always been faithful to us. And I remember in this meeting, this had to be like 12 years ago, one of the members of the stewardship meeting looked at me and says, Bob, you're looking at all this. How could you be so calm? I'll tell you why I can be so calm, because I watch God over and over and over and over and over and over and over again come through. My experiences were different than his experiences. His ex lack of experience in this area caused him to panic. The facts just caused me, well, here we go again, another opportunity for God to show up. What made the difference? Because he was less of a Christian than me? No, I had experiences that he did not have. Our fallen nature. Now, our fallen nature has a, has a quest to be autonomous. Autonomous from God. We want to live life in our, in our own strength. We want to live life in our own wisdom. Now, there's a, there's a scripture called Proverbs 14, 12. You know this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. When we fell away from God, what we did is that we thought the best way to approach life is without God. And if that's the case, now I'm in control. Now when I'm in control and I face the crisis and the trials of life, I have to have coping mechanisms to deal with that. You know what those coping mechanisms turned into when we face pain and when stress? We develop things called fears. We develop things called phobias. We develop things called controlling obsessions. We de dealt with things like avoidance, and we felt things like basically, you know, being uh, excessive and overachieving. It can be the development as a child. Now, every child comes into the world equal, but every child doesn't have the same equal development in family. And maybe one child has a nurturing, you know, wise coaching family environment, support and cheerleaders and good structure and good discipline. And they're going to develop emotionally and mentally a certain way. Other people are going to come into a life with no parenting, no nurturing. They're going to see things all the time, the cops at their house and they might be into foster homes and they, they just kind of go through and through and through all these things. They didn't have the same development as this child. They came both in empty slates, but the development of what they grew up in does impact them. They say, well, I don't blame the environment. You don't blame the environment, but sometimes we need to understand the environment so that we can understand what we need to whip in our life. And then temperament. You know, some people are just born sensitive. They're born gentle. Parents, how many would agree with me that if you've had more than one child, that your children are not the same? Have you ever said this? Where has this child come from? Where is this child? Where? What tree did you fall from? You know, some are very sensitive, they get their feelings hurt, and they have a temperament that could be more prone to being wounded by challenges. And some kids are born bulldogs. I mean, they got bulldog temperament. I mean, nothing phases them. They got alligator skin. Everything slips off of them like water off a duck's back. I mean, you know, you take my son-in-law, Chad Veach, nothing phases him. He's always happy. Hey, Chad, your roof blew off. I know, it's so good, man. You want to watch basketball? And it was just... just He's just always happy. I don't know where he got it. I mean, it's not just attitude. I think he's born happy. 
We want to cry right now, Chad. No, no, we're going to laugh. It's party time. It's worked to his favor in his ministry. It's a different temperament. And there's a thing called the limbic system. The limbic system. What is the limbic system? Well, this involves our brain. Now, I'm not saying that all these factors are there all at one time, but these are rocks that we have to overturn, even with ourselves when we're dealing with this thing. Limbic system describes a group of brain structures that basically surround the stem of your brain. And these structures play a role in how one experiences emotions, like things like fear and anger and memory. And there's part of this is called the, the hippocampus, is the part of the system that stores and retrieves memories. And studies now have suggested when someone faces stress and crisis, and this is where we get post-traumatic stress syndrome, that the, hippoc that the hippocampus can be damaged. And so what can happen, a memory of what happened 10 years ago can pop up in your brain as if it's happening now. And this is why people, we used to call it shell shock, and people go through other things, that they, they had the, the consequences of what they went through because through the stress of what they had, their brain got damaged. And we got to look at these things sometimes when we're trying to figure out why certain people do certain things that they do as a result of the pain that they went through in life. Our next truth is this, and we're not going to get through all of them. I'll pick half of these up next week. Is our belief system is affected by our double-mindedness. Well, that's not very nice to say, Bob. Jesus said it this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now notice there's a, there's a pull here between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Well, it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. But Jesus didn't say this because the potentiality is not there. It's there. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Double-mindedness is real simple. We want to serve Jesus, but we, we also treasure our earthly things equally. And we can't treasure our earthly things equally. Now, I believe in being a good steward, and I believe that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Part of our new possessions, we bought two goats yesterday. Eat your heart out, urbanites. <laughs> Sue said, I got to have two goats. And, and I wanted to watch the University of Washington SC game, but I went to a fabric and fiber festival yesterday. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I know my yarn. <laughs> and I got to watch the judging of sheep and judging of goats and real exciting you, st you sit there and look at them and a person with a clipboard watches each one action I mean it moves really fast but we take two beautiful goats put in the back of our jeep drive home in, the, in a thunderstorm and we're excited we're excited but I've I did think, before I went to bed last night, I went out to check on the sheep at about 11 o'clock last night, make sure my possessions were okay. <laughs> Paid $300 for those suckers. We're not going to lose them yet. Of course, I didn't want them to die the first night and call the person that sold them to them. Your, your, your goats are dead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have things that God gives us, and it's okay, but we got to always make sure that these things on earth are always in subjection to the things in heaven. Jesus said that it would pull on us. Now, the problem, what happens when treasures on earth become more important than they should is that we're always checking on them, we're always focusing on them, we're always using our mental energy on them. We've got to be careful of that. Here's the problem of treasuring material things on earth. The first thing is they decay. It's the second law of thermodynamics, that all systems will become increasingly disorderly. Things rust. Moths come in and eat. Things do not function. You ever kept an antique around your house? Anybody else besides us? <laughs> they don't seem to hold together all that. 
when we inherited a lot of my mother-in-law's stuff, one of the things that took place is we had this like 100-year-old doll. And uh, one of the dolls had glass eyeballs, and you see in the demon movies, it seemed to take on a personification. <laughs> well, this one looked kind of demonic because it had one eye. The 100-year-old doll, shaved head, you know. It had some noises, too, like, uh-uh, <laughs> And one day I walked into the, I walked into the, our, our mud room where our washing machine is, and there's the doll sitting on the dryer. I said, Sue, why, why, you, why is the doll in the dryer? Well, it just, it's creeping me out. So what I did without her knowing it is that we have car seats usually in the back of our car for the grandkids. I, I, put, it, I, put, it in the, I put it in the car seat of the Prius without her knowing it. So the next morning she got in, looked in the rear view mirror, and, <laughs> Material things can become security issues. In other words, I'm worried about my possessions. There's an old musical back, uh, late 50s, early 60s, called Porky and Bess. And uh, there was a song called, I have, I mean, say, I, I forgot that I, I have something for nothing. Nothing's plenty for me. And uh, I forget the name of the song, but it talks about, I have no lock on the door. That's no way to be. They can steal the rug from the floor. That's okay with me. For the things that I prize, like the stars in the sky, all are free. And uh, I have plenty of nothing was the name of the song. And we used to sing it, you know, Sue and I, when we had no possessions. And of course, it's easy to sing when you don't have possessions, but it's harder to sing when you do have possessions. <laughs> but it is truth that when I have possessions, they take a lot of focus and a lot of energy and a lot of things. I'm not saying don't have possessions. Please don't hear me wrong. But we, don't, we need to look at their potential of the energy that they can swallow up and worrying about them, or you can just consecrate them to God. And if you're able to do that, great. The other thing is our material things actually can become a covetous and security issue in others. In other words, people get provoked to steal our stuff. You know, where are the neighborhoods that get robbed? Usually it's neighborhoods that have things. People get covetous. So should I not have something because you're getting covetous? No, but we, we do have to be careful. Or jealousy. Or insecurity in them, like social media. You know, we, hey, our new house! We got pictures of our new house! You know, and we just got evicted. I don't feel too good about your new house. I feel like a loser. I have my cute studio apartment. I don't quite like your house. We're on our vacation, paid $10,000 for it. We went camping and got rained on. <laughs> I'm not saying because you get blessed and others may not be in the same place, don't, don't experience that blessing. But I think we do need to evaluate these things in light of what's important. Do I think that God wants us to live a focused life on the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Does he want us to live in mission? Absolutely. And to do that, i got to make sure I'm not dragging too much along that's sapping my energy so that I can treasure things that are in heaven. You know, I can't, I can't take my house. I, I love my house. I love my, whatever we call it, the barn. I love our cabin. Okay, I got a cabin. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do it for Sue. It was her heart's desire. She sacrificed so much. I wanted to do that for her. But I really can't take my house, my barn, and my cabin to heaven. And Jesus is going to say, well done, Bob. Way to get a cabin. That was cool. He might think that was a cool cabin. Glad you enjoyed it. It was my little blessing to you. But he might say, you know, it really didn't matter to me. What matters is that you do my will. And so I want to stop here because... When we're talking about anxiety, Jesus later on says, don't, don't worry about those things. In other words, don't worry about, he goes down to even Maslow's chart of hierarchy. If you study Psychology 101, don't worry about what you're going to eat. 
don't worry about what you're going to drink. Now, I do. I like to plan out my meals. I want to talk to Sue about food. She likes to cook five minutes ahead of the meal. I'll, I'll throw some stuff together. I'm more of a gourmet cook. She's Rachel Ray. But he said, don't get yourself sapped by all that. Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. But what I want you to worry about, what I want you to be focused on, your energy is on the will of God. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then he says something interesting. Well, he may have said it before he said that. He said, for the Gentiles, those not in a relationship with God, that's what they live for. That's where their energies go. But your energies are to go in this thing called doing the will of God. And I don't want us to just run around. You know, we shop at Value Village. We sell all our houses. We live in tents. Okay, no, 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 no. But we just got to make sure in our evaluation of ourselves is it something that I'm that out of the blessing of God that I enjoy and refreshes me and enriches my life, or is it something that's occupying me? Because if it occupies you, you're a candidate for anxiety. The Lord gives. What else? The Lord takes away. Okay, so they got to be in God's hands. He can do whatever He wants. He's God. Stand to our feet. It's enough for today. Worship team, would you come on up? Jesus, we thank you today. You just sing whatever song you want to sing, Casey. I thank you today that you love, you love your people. Thank you today, Lord, that you want to bring healing in our mind. You want to bring healing in our soul. You want to bring healing in our heart. Lord, to do that, Lord, sometimes we've got to examine ourselves in, in all that we are and in, in all that we've done sometimes in living independently apart from you. Lord, we need our, our minds renewed. We, we need to interpret life correctly. We need to, Father God, know what it is that has contributed to where we are. We've got to stop life, and we've got to take a hard look at ourselves. Lord, it's good. I, I pray everybody here, just take periodic times. It could be an hour in a coffee shop with a journal. It could be getting up in the morning when no one else is around and just reflecting in your presence. It may be taking an evening, going for a long walk. It could be getting away to a cabin just, just to talk with you. God, I pray that if something's capturing our heart, that you will capture our heart. I pray that if our thinking isn't in alignment with the right belief system, that we'll get a right belief system. I pray, Lord, if there's been inroads organically because of crisis in our life or trauma in our life, then, Lord God, give us wisdom, and I pray, Lord, let healing come. I pray, Lord, no one be under condemnation if they're on some type of prescription prescription drug today, but Lord, may they see that really that they are not a material being, that they're a spiritual being, and, and Lord, your presence dwells with them, and you're with them. You're going to help them. You're going to be in their life. Pray, Lord God, that if there's been patterns and habits from, from our childhood, that we will look at that and say, Lord, help us to untwine this thing. Lord, I pray for great healing and great deliverance in our minds and our hearts. Lord, let our absolute confidence be in you. In Jesus' name. It was May, I think it was 1983, and I had used up all my money I had on my first year of Bible college, so we didn't have any money in savings, and I had a job that was promised to me for eight months, and the eighth month was coming up. Sue and I had no money in our bank account, Unemployment. I don't know where it was in Portland in 1983, but it, it was through the ceiling. And we were house-sitting for free, and the people were coming back to take their house. And I didn't have enough money for rent, barely enough money for food. And I had about three weeks, and God had to just come through. And so obviously I was overwhelmed, but we, I mean, we, we burned bridges 
to go to Bible college because we felt God wanted us to do something. We had like, we had like 11 years of upper education between the two of us. And here we were penniless because we did the will of God. I remember getting up about 3 o'clock in the morning and I was reading that particular verse in, in, in Matthew where Jesus 6 where he says, you know, the, you know, the grass doesn't toil or spin, but yet so, but, you know, it's more clothed and arrayed with beauty than Solomon and all his beauty. And he said, you know, fear not. If God so clothes the grass which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? I remember getting on my knees in the living room of this house that we were house sitting. And I had, I had Matthew 6 open, and I said to God in prayer out loud, I either believe that this is absolute reality and absolute truth, or I have no business preaching the gospel. It's either true or not true. I either believe it or don't believe it. And Lord, I choose at this moment to believe. Shut my Bible. Went to bed, slept like a baby. I was amazed how much peace I had the next day. Within like 48 hours, a job was offered to me and an apartment moved up and money came in and we never starved, we never missed a beat and we kept moving forward to what would be our purpose in life. And Jesus basically said, I want you to just go bananas for my will and I will take care of everything else. God has blessed us. God has blessed our net worth. God has blessed our life. God has blessed us in so many different ways. He's a good God, is he not? Yeah. Well, Bob, he has some bad things happen. We all have bad things happen to us. But you know what? We don't realize in the bad things, his grace is there too. There was one reformer that got burned at the stake. Forget which one he was. He had all his disciples there. And he says, when they burn me in fire today and I stop singing, you'll know that the grace I taught you is false. But if you hear me singing in the midst of the flames, you'll know that the grace of God that I preached to you about is true. And as they burned him in the stake, they listened to him die singing hymns in the flames. Come on, he's with us in the dark seasons too, is he not? Come on, let's sing this. Let's get our faith in him.